Obviously, Pastor John is not standing where I'm standing. He'd like to be here, but he's home still, recovering, still battling that flu. So we're going to have a time of prayer for him in a moment. Um, He wanted me to tell you, he didn't want me to talk too much about how he wasn't feeling well. He wanted me to talk to you about how much he misses you, how much he loves you, how much he wanted to be here. You know, John, this is, you're his family, and we all love him so much. And uh, yeah, he's, Kay is taking care of him. We'll pray for Kay too. (laughs) All the women will, yeah. (laughs) Men are babies. I'm sorry, when we get sick. Oh, I'm sick. I got a runny nose. No, but we need to pray for, pray for them, and we'll do that. Um, last week, if you were here, you heard Rob Selleck bring a stunning message from God's Word. If you missed it, I would could not recommend higher you, that you go online and listen to it. And so, I, I want to kind of piggyback on what Rob taught. Rob was in in Two Kings five. We're going to be in Genesis, but. Rob talked about testing, and I've been thinking about what our pastor is going through, the trial and testing he's going through, and I, I just, it it caught my heart, and I want to, I want to piggyback on that. If you're in school now, then you know exactly what I'm talking about, or if you've been out of school for a while, then I want to refresh your memory about testing. Do you remember how a normal day of the week, Monday through Friday, just a normal day of the week, but all of a sudden it becomes an ominous day, because you knew on that day, you were going to have a test. And the birds might be singing for other people and flowers blooming for them, but you're not in that, you're in a somber mood. You're kind of nervous because you're going to go into the classroom and you're, you know that teacher or that professor is going to hand you an examination to test your knowledge or lack of knowledge. My high school German teacher, his name was Herr Wittig. And when Herr Wittig would hand out the test, he always said this. He said, don't worry. You either know it or you don't. Yeah, it didn't comfort me either. Because I was terrified that if I knew it, I was going to forget it under the pressure of the test. Or if I didn't know it, I was afraid it would be the main thing on the test. Then I get out of school and I finally think, oh good, no more tests. Testings are over. Have you noticed the testings just keep on happening? All of life seems to be one big test. And our subject tonight is a serious one because we're going to see how seriously God takes our faith. And I hope it helps us understand what these tests are all about for us. But first, before we get into his word, let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you. We just want to lift up our dear, dear Pastor John to you, Father. You know how much we love him. We know how much he loves us, and he is so faithfully, so faithfully, with other illnesses and injuries, is in the pulpit teaching your word, but right now he can't, Father, and we pray. We pray you give him strength. Help his body heal. Give him the, the peace of knowing that we, we miss him, we want him here, but Lord, this is his time to be recovering. We pray for Kay. Give her wisdom and strength to take care of him and bring him back to us as soon as we we possibly could have him, Father. And now, Lord, as we open your word, please, we don't want to share human insight. We ask your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our ears and our minds. Give us clarity where we need clarity and give us conviction where we need our hearts convicted. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, 
I'll give you a quick recap over what Rob taught. I can't do it justice, so I'm just going to give you a recap. It's, it was beautiful. But he taught us about Naaman, remember? Naaman, the valiant lawyer, powerful, rich commander, but he had leprosy. So he wanted to go to a prophet of God to be healed. So he went to Elijah's house. And when Naaman rolled up with his entourage, he wanted the prophet of God, Elijah, to come out of the house and put on a show, put on a production like those healing things you see on TV, the yay and the, all the stuff. He wanted this big, big show. Elijah didn't even come to the door, remember? He sent his servant out to go tell Naaman, dip himself seven times in the muddy Jordan River and he'll be fine. And when Naaman heard that, he was furious. His ego was in a way and he got wounded and he was going to go home. But one of his own servants gently said, Master, Master, you think you might want to try to do what the prophet said? So he agreed and he finally passed his test. He did what the Lord told him to do. He dipped seven times and he came out perfectly healed. So Naaman did pass the test. But he had a lot of tutoring. Today, we're going to look at a man that took a test that is the toughest test any man has ever faced, except for our Lord Jesus Christ. So turn to your Bibles to Genesis 22. We're going to talk about a man named Abraham. Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. Let me read verse 1 to you out of Genesis 22. We're going to spend a little bit of time in verse 1 and 2, and then we'll move faster. So when you see how slow I go through verse 1, don't get worried. I'll have you out of here by 3 o'clock. Don't worry. Genesis 22:1 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. The verse begins with the words, Sometime later. Don't overlook those words. A wonderful promise for us in those words. It tells us something beautiful about the tests we go through in life. God gives, administers his test in sequential order. God has a perfect order and a perfect reason for every test we face. For us, it may not seem like that. We may encounter things and we'll think, this is random. God, your timing is way off. I don't need this. Here's a wonderful fact from the Word of God, something that we can know is absolute truth. It is impossible for God to go out of order. It is impossible for God to be late. God has a perfect plan, a perfect purpose, and a perfect reason for every single thing we go through, whether we can see it or not. We're going to look at a test that Abraham took that was not his first it wasn't his first dance, as they say. Abraham had had several other major examinations that we're going to look at. And in keeping with the theme of today's message, I prepared a quiz for you. You're going to take a quiz, pop quiz. Don't worry, it's open book, and I'm going to help you through it. And just before we begin, I know that in, in the Bible, if you're familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah, I know they had different names when we first meet them. I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah for the purpose of the quiz, uh, just so we get through it without extra explanation. Here's your first question. Ready? Okay. In Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your home, leave your father's home, leave everything you know, and I want you to go to a place you know nothing about. Abraham had no idea where he was going, and he had no idea why he was going. God just told him to go. So Abraham packed everything up and he went. 
Was that a pass or a fail? Pass. It's okay to say it out loud. If you know it, just shout right out. Yes, pass. You get credit for that. If you just smiled and nodded, and, and that's okay. You still get credit. So pass. Yes, he passed. Next question. Maybe a little louder this time, but it's okay if, if you're shy. It's okay. Next question. God promised Abraham and his wife that they would have a child. And when Sarah did not conceive, they took matters into their own hands. And Abraham had a son with an Egyptian slave woman. Did he pass or fail that test? Fail. You're getting the hang of it. That's good. One pass, one fail. Later, Abraham and Sarah moved to a place called Gerar. And when they moved there, Abraham was afraid that the king of Imelech would see his beautiful wife and take her for his own and kill Abraham in the process. So he passed Sarah off as his sister instead of his wife. He had done that before in Egypt. What do you think? Pass or fail? Fail. Let's, if you're in Genesis 22, turn back two chapters to Genesis 20. We'll just, I won't, we won't read the whole thing. Verses 1 to 18 tell us the story. Basically what happens is Abimelech is visited in a dream by God, and God says, Abimelech, you're as good as dead. You're a dead man because the woman you have taken is a married woman. And Abimelech says to God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I have clean hands, a clean conscience. Didn't he tell me she's my sister? And didn't she say to me that he was her brother? I didn't even touch her. I'm clean. And God said, yes, I know you're clean. That's why I didn't allow you to touch her. But you better return her or everybody you know in your family is going to die. So in verse 8, look what happened after this encounter with God. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials And when he told them all that happened, they were much afraid. Yeah, I would be. And Abimelech called Abraham in and he said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And then Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Okay, here comes a question. In in verse 11, Abraham replied to King Abimelech and said, Well, I said to myself, let's pause right there. Abraham is now talking to himself instead of talking to the Lord. Is that a pass or a fail? Fail. Keep these coming. The next question is going to have the same answer. Abraham said, I said to myself, there surely is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Wait a minute. Was that God's promise? God promised to bless Abraham, not kill him. So now Abraham forgot what the Lord had said. He forgot the word of the Lord. Pass or fail? Fail. Keep them coming. Next question. You see the pattern? We're in a downward. Keep these these coming. Abraham continued with his explanation to the king in verse 12. Abraham's explaining now. Besides... She, Sarah, really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. Okay, yes, technically Sarah was his half-sister, but that wasn't the the question. That wasn't the problem the king was having. The problem is that Abraham was trying to deceive the king, and he was willing that his wife might have been defiled so he'd save his own neck. Pass or fail? Fail. One more similar answer. Verse 13, he's continuing to explain. And he said, And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So now God, now Abraham is blaming God. Well, God had me wander from my home. And then he's saying to his wife, 
prove your love to me by lying. Pass or fail? Fail. We can see from this passage, oh, by the way, let me just wrap up the story. Basically, then Abimelech ended up giving all kinds of money and property to Abraham and said, stay here if you want. You know, I'm vindicated. And look at verse 18. Um, God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. She must have been in that household long enough for them to realize they could not conceive. And this is teaching us something staggering. When we rely on our own wits instead of the Word of God, our life is going to get messy. But not only ours. Not only ours. It's going to affect other people. Have you ever thought about that before? That your obedience to God impacts other people? Maybe in your family, in your neighborhood, in your work, in this church? His unfaithfulness to God could have wiped out a country. Here's the last question of our quiz. Later, Sarah did become pregnant with the child God promised. The child's name was Isaac. But now there were two families living under the same roof. There was Hagar, the Egyptian slave, with Ishmael. And then there was Sarah with Isaac. And the two families clashed. So Sarah told Hagar and Ishmael to leave. God came to Abraham and told Abraham to do what his wife wanted. Abraham was heartbroken, but he sent Hagar and Ishmael away. Did he pass or fail that test? Passed. Finally passed. So you see, Abraham was not a straight-A student like you are. You all passed. But he got a few Fs in that grade book God was keeping. The whole reason we went through this exercise is something really important that we have to understand before we read further. Abraham was not superhuman. Flesh and blood like you and like me. A man that had colossal mistakes. Piled up horrible failure. Yet God used him. And here's maybe the best news you're going to hear today. God can do amazing things with ordinary people. Flaws and all. You may... You have, may have been blowing it lately or blowing it in the past. And God, in his mercy and greatness, uses that to still bring us to where he wants us to be. God's tests are sequential. They come to us like stepping stones that lead us from one place to another exactly where God wants us to go, even if we're not exactly sure ourselves while we're wandering where we're going. His tests are also cumulative, which means he's always building on the knowledge and the things we learned or failed to learn before. He just keeps teaching us, keeps bringing us along. Let's look at verse 1 in Genesis 22 again. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. Let's make sure we understand what that means. What does it mean, he tested Abraham? Is a test different than a temptation? It's very different, very much so. In in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, we read that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Great word use there, dragged away, <laughs> evil desire. So when we are tempted to sin, it from, comes from within inside of us. God never, ever tempts us to sin 
However, God does test us. Why does God test us? This helped me understand it, so let me explain it to you. If this works for you, great. If not, forget I ever said it. But last year, I did a project for the Kennedy Space Center. We did a film, and I got to meet some of the NASA engineers and scientists, and they talked to me about the materials that they tested before they put them in the space shuttle Atlantis to take them into outer space. They subjected these materials to all kinds of tests, not to destroy them, but to refine them, to prove that these materials could handle the job under pressure. In a sense, that's what God does with us through our tests. He is refining us. He is building us up. He knows exactly what job he wants us to do. And you know, he really does understand the pressures we're under. Sometimes we may feel like nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody sees the pressure. God sees it perfectly, and he has prepared you to handle it. You may feel like you're about to cave in, but God says, no, I've prepared you. You're going to hold. God has a plan for you and me, and his plan is to make us into something different than we are right now. God's plan is to make us into the men and women he created us to be. When he created us in our mother's womb, he had... He had a plan. He had a blueprint. Let me read to you something from uh, C.S. Lewis. It's from his book, Mere Christianity. If you ever want to read an excellent book, and a stunning book, Mere Christianity, I could not recommend higher. So C.S. Lewis is going to tell us about this, these tests and what we do with God's uh, work in our lives. Here's what C.S. Lewis writes. Imagine yourself as a living house. Imagine that you are a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts terribly and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is, he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That's the picture of what God is doing in our lives. We may think, well, we're just a little cottage. And God says, no, you're no cottage. You are a palace. I'm coming to live in it myself. And there will be pain as he does some remodeling. Back to Genesis 22, one, one more time. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Look at the way Abraham replied to God. When this test was approached, he said, here I am. Not who, me? I've done plenty of the who, me questions with God, myself. Abraham said, here I am. He had learned to tune in to God's frequency, to hear his voice, and be instantly ready, a heart willing. What God can do with a heart that's willing, even when he didn't know what the test was. It's like saying, any volunteers? Nobody wants to put up their hand. Abraham's hand goes up. Let's read about the test, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. 
Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Who? I don't know if you do this, but I cannot help but project myself into this story. I am a father. I am a grandfather. I would die for my sons and daughters. I would die for my grandchildren, but I cannot imagine watching them die, especially at my hands. So we might read this passage and think we would fail this test. And the answer is, honestly, yes, we would. The reason we would fail the test is it's not our test. This test was not made for you and me. This was Abraham's test. And the only reason Abraham passed it, the only reason Abraham passed it, was because God had painstakingly prepared him to take that test. God prepares us just like he prepared Abraham. Step by step. God's lesson plan is personal. One-on-one. It means I can't take your tests and you can't take mine. God sure didn't sugarcoat his words, did he? Verse 2, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go sacrifice him as a burnt offering. In the Hebrew language, there is no indication that Abraham hesitated or even questioned God. He had learned. He had learned through his past successes and failures to stop questioning God, to stop second-guessing him. He understood God is true and faithful and can always be trusted. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We probably, each of us, have some pretty major failings in our history. But God God does not give up on us when we fail. He isn't through with us when when we blow it. He helps us learn from our mistakes. He helps us learn from our missteps as much as our right steps. To help us grow into people that can find ourselves doing things we never thought we could possibly do. Let's be clear that God would never have allowed Abraham to sacrifice his son. This test was not about human sacrifice. God forbids human sacrifice. This test was about revealing the quality that God cherishes and requires in each of us, which is our faith. Total faith in him, which is shown through our obedience. Here's something very important. It's the key to this text. And I'm going to tell you now because there will be one more test question at the end. God takes our faith in him very seriously. And we are foolish if we take our faith in him casually. I have made the mistake sometimes of trusting the Lord, feeling like I just did God a favor. God requires, God demands our faith. And he deserves nothing less. Absolute trust. Back to Genesis 22.2. Interesting word. It's a common word, but it's interesting. In in verse 2, God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. This is the first use of the word love in the Bible. And it's not used of a mother's love for her children. And it's not used of a husband's love for his wife. It's used of a father's love for his only son, 
Abraham and Isaac give us a picture, as we will see further as we go on, of the relationship between our Heavenly Father and His only Son, Jesus. I think we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And now we need to understand something very, very important about Isaac. <clears throat> Years earlier, God had promised Abraham he would have a son, and that son is Isaac. And God promised Abraham that he would bless all the nations of the earth and rise up people more numerous to count through Isaac. So when the Lord told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac wasn't even engaged yet or married, so he had no children. How could God fulfill his promise if Abraham sacrificed him before he had any offspring? You know, Abraham didn't even ask God this question. I wonder why. It's a pretty good one. The reason he didn't question God is he had learned that the promise, like all of God's promises, are never in jeopardy. Never. God always keeps his promise. By knowing that, Abraham was free from ever second-guessing God. If you ever second-guess God, I've made a career out of it. But when you get to the point where you realize, I no longer have to second-guess God. He does not have to explain himself. He's perfect. He's got a perfect plan. He's got this handled. You know what you feel like when you get to that place? You feel younger. And you feel thinner. You feel healthier. Abraham obeyed the Lord, but that doesn't mean he wasn't scared. He was an emotional being just like you and me. He had the same emotions we do. But we have to realize that just because we're scared, or especially when we're scared, that doesn't mean we should stop obeying God's word. We shouldn't take our faith away from trusting in him. The only way to get past our fears and failures is not to focus on them. We need to fill our mind with God's word. Interesting thing happens when you fill your mind with God's word. It has a way of pushing your other worries and your, your lack of confidence and your failings. It kind of pushes them out the other ear. And your problems and your worries get smaller and smaller and smaller as you look up higher and higher and higher at Almighty God. That's what Abraham did. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son in the region of Moriah. Why was that important to God? Why didn't God just let Abraham sacrifice his son anywhere he wanted? Moriah means foreseen of Jehovah. Foreseen of Jehovah. And what was Jehovah foreseeing here in Moriah? This is the place where Jerusalem would be built. And it would be the site for Solomon's temple. In Second Chronicles 3.1 we read, then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is a ridge that runs through Jerusalem north to south. The peak of Mount Moriah is just beyond the north wall of Jerusalem. When Jesus was crucified, they led him out of the city to a place called Golgotha on the top of a hill. Many Bible scholars believe he was crucified right there on Mount Moriah the very place that God was sending Abraham and Isaac 2,000 years before Christ was born. Let's move on. 
Verses 3 and 4. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. The language again in the Hebrew is written in a way to show that Abraham did not hesitate. He obeyed God without questioning. So he got up early the next morning. I imagine he didn't sleep. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible just says he got up early. But I, if I was Abraham, I wouldn't be able to sleep. So he got up. It was dark out. It's always coldest before the dawn. And what was Abraham doing? He was busy loading the donkey with provisions. He was packing the car. And then he was cutting the wood for the offering. Abraham was about 120 years old, and he had his young son and two servants. Why weren't they doing any work? Why was Abraham doing everything? The Bible doesn't tell us, so this is 100% my opinion. I think Abraham was working off nervous energy because that's exactly what I'd be doing. So Abraham, Isaac, and two servants set out on this journey to, Mar- to Moriah, and the Bible doesn't tell us anything about it other than it took three days. As they traveled on those three days, what do you think? Do you think Abraham was in a talkative mood, or did he feel pretty quiet? On the third day, Abraham could see the destination on the horizon. I wonder if his stomach sank. It reminded me of the time when um, my wife and I, I had to have surgery for my shoulder, and we went to UCLA Medical Center. And we rose early. It was dark. It was cold. We got in the car, and the car was packed up, and we drove about an hour. I was felt pretty quiet. I was nervous. But Joni talked to me because her voice soothed me. So she was talking. And I was starting to feel better until we came over the freeway and I could see the hospital on the horizon. And then I didn't feel so good. I wanted to turn the car around, go home. How do you suppose Abraham was feeling when he saw their destination? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us what he was feeling. But the Word of God does tell us exactly what he was thinking. It is not here in Genesis. It's found in the book of Hebrews. Let me read to you Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. This sheds light on what, he, what Abraham was thinking. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if God died, I'm sorry, that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So that's what he was thinking. If, he, if Isaac dies, God will bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Abraham knew anything was possible with God, including raising his son from the dead, which is something nobody had ever seen the Lord do at this point in history. In Genesis 22.5, Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while the boy and I go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will come back to you. We. Clearly, Abraham expected God to bring his son back to life again and he would return. When Abraham referred to his son as a boy or a lad, we have to understand in the Hebrew language, boy or lad doesn't always mean a, a wee one. It also is reference to a young unmarried male, which Isaac was. Most scholars believe Isaac was anywhere from his mid-20s to his mid-30s at this point. Old enough 
to stop this sacrifice if he wanted to. Now, of course, at this moment, Isaac did not understand what role he was going to play in the sacrifice, but he was about to. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. Then he himself carried the fire and knife. Abraham, the father, put the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son. This is a picture, again, a perfect foreshadowing of what would happen 2,000 years later when our Heavenly Father put the wooden cross on his son and his son Jesus carried that wooden up, up the hill, maybe this very hill where Isaac and Abraham were heading. As Abraham and Isaac walked along, it was Isaac that broke the silence. Verse 6 to 7, he said, As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. I'll bet Abraham knew this question was coming. He was probably looking for it for days. Finally, here it came. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Again, no hesitation from Abraham. Straight answer. But I wonder, do you think his voice was strong or thin? Did his voice waver with emotion? Isaac asked, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And, and, and Abraham's answer is really interesting. He said, God himself will provide the lamb. That's prophetic. <laughs> because 2,000 years later, God himself did provide the ultimate lamb for sacrifice, his son Jesus. It makes us think of John 1.29, right? When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In verse 9 of Genesis 22, we read, When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Remember, Isaac is in his mid-20s at least. If he did not want to go on the woodpile, he wouldn't have gone on the woodpile. But Isaac submitted to his father's will, just like Jesus submitted to his father's will. Philippians 2.8 says, talking about Jesus, and being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus himself, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Bible doesn't tell us if Abraham spoke to his son while he tied him up and laid him on the altar, I guess that detail is not important. But here's a detail that's very important. Verse 10. Then re Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Abraham reached for the knife. Deliberate action. No indecision. And as his fingers wrapped around the handle to that blade, his full intention was to slay his son. I wonder if that knife felt heavy. Was his hand steady or was it shaking? Were his knuckles white? Were his tears falling on his son's chest? Whatever Abraham felt, it did not prevent him from obeying the Lord because at this moment, at this pinnacle moment, just like that blade in his hand, that weapon in his hand, Abraham's faith was razor sharp. God had carefully prepared Abraham for this moment. 
The message to us is God will never lead us to something he hasn't prepared us for. Not ever. And God will never ask us to go without him. Verse 11, God speaks again. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven a a second time. No, I'm sorry. The Lord called out to, to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham wasn't so busy obeying God that he forgot to listen to God's voice. That's a very good thing because the test was over. Great reminder for us in ministry, never get so busy serving God we forget to listen for his voice. And God did provide a sacrifice, but not Isaac. It was a ram. I've actually been around rams, uh, not the St. Louis rams, the, the ram rams, the animal rams. Those are powerful animals. They're well equipped to handle this terrain. I imagine it's unusual to find one with its antlers caught or horns caught in a thicket. You know, Abraham did not know how this test was going to turn out, but here's what Abraham knew. He put his trust in the one who knows all things and doesn't need to explain himself. Abraham had got to the place where he just trusted the God who knows all things and doesn't have to explain himself. God asked Abraham to make the ultimate sacrifice, but then God stopped him from doing that, going through with it, because God reserved that ultimate price for himself when God sent his only son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Many Bible scholars believe the very place where Abraham built that altar is the very place where Jesus hung on the cross for our sins. Jesus died so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And in verse 10, Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I've been thinking about this. I don't think that's the name I would have come up with for that mountain. I think I would have called it Anxiety Mountain or Close Call Hill. But Abraham didn't name it based on what he went through. He named it on, based on what God did. He provided. This is the clearest picture of what faith is in the Bible, in my opinion. What is faith? Faith is knowing. Faith is knowing God will provide. God will provide. Let's finish the passage. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Our obedience always leads to blessings more than we can count from our faithful and loving God. By the way, who are Abraham's offspring? They became the nation of Israel, through which came the Savior, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, and every single one of us who have put our faith in the Lord. When God made that promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago, he was including us in the promise. Okay, last question of your test. You have to remember back 30 minutes ago. I'll give you time to prepare. Remember we saw Abraham when he 
had a lack of faith. He created chaos. He could have destroyed his marriage, ruined King Abimelech, and many others would have been hurt. He was worthless. He was dangerous. But with faith, look what God can do with a person of faith. God built a nation. He built a people more numerous to count. We're not small cottages. We're palaces. God can do mighty things through us, through our faith. Do you think God takes our faith in him seriously? A mighty God requires our absolute trust and obedience. And that comes down to our ultimate test question to leave you with. Do we take our faith in Christ as seriously as he does? Is our obedience to the Lord our highest priority? Again, God demands, God requires our absolute trust. How do you feel about that? Does that make you feel like hiding? Or like Abraham, do you feel like standing up and saying to the Lord, here I am? In a moment, we're going to close the service, and people from our prayer team are going to be right over here. If you're going through a time of testing, and you would like someone to pray with you, or if you're going through anything in your life, large or small, I want you to be comforted to know nobody's going to ask you to pray. We have people here that it's their privilege to pray for you. So if you want to come over here at the end of the service, people will pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, Lord, we are sorry that we get preoccupied with visible things. We look at our clocks and our calendars and we look at our situations around us and our, we get so complex. And it's, it's just uh, more than we can handle, Lord, because we forget to look at the invisible things, which are the true things of this world. But you know all things. You are in complete control. Father, don't let us be people that think we're doing you a favor by trusting you. Let us be a people that understand that you're a God that does not need to explain himself. Let us be men and women that continue to grow in our faith step by step to become exactly what you created us to be. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for it, dear Father. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.